Good morning. How's everybody? Happy Father's Day to, to you. I, I hope you had a wonderful morning and breakfast was served to you and coffee was waiting on the, the table next to you as you awoke and you could experience the goodness of being a dad in, in this world. No? Didn't happen? It didn't happen in my house either. <laughs> Matter of fact, I even had to hit the button on the coffee machine this morning, so um, it's all good. Hey, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you have chosen to uh, come and celebrate Father's Day with us and, and uh, celebrate dads. If you're, a dad, if you're a man in this room, would you please stand up? <clears throat> you don't have to be a dad. Just if you're a man, please stand up. If you're, if, if you're um, sitting next to them, would you kindly put your hand on a shoulder? There you go. Here's what, here's what I believe. Here's what I believe. That, that God has, has placed men in, in this world and in our lives to bless us exponentially. To be a leader, to lead out. To follow hard after Jesus and to be an example to the people around us. So here's my prayer and here's what I pray for the men of our church. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would be with us. Lord, as we lead out because it was your design to lead out. Because when you created man and woman, you said it is man's job to love his wife it is man's job to care for her. It is man's job to lead his family well. Lord, that we are to, to lead our children well, that we have an opportunity in this world to lead out in a way that is strong and comes from a strength that only comes from you, Father. And so my prayer for all of the men in this room today, Lord, is that you would draw us close to you. Lord, that when we feel weak and we don't feel like we're competent, Lord, that our competency is not found in what we do or in our jobs, but our competency are, is, is simply because of who you are and who you created us to be. And so, Lord, the fear that sometimes grips a man by the heart and keeps us from leading out, keeps us from speaking truth, keeps us from loving our wives and the people around us well, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would drive that fear out and you would replace it with your power, with your strength that only comes from a Savior who gave his life for us and gave us an example of how we are to be in this world. And so, Lord, I pray, Father, that we would be that example to not only this church, but to our homes and to this community. And so, Father, I lift these men up to you. And I pray, Father, that we would be relentless in pursuing you. That we would be relentless in loving the people you put around us. And, Lord, that we would not relent on what you've called us to. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You guys, be seated. <clears throat> I believe God has a plan for our lives, and I believe that this plan is something that is far more than we could imagine or far more than what we sometimes put restrictions around. And so we're in a, in a in, in 
going through the book of Ephesians. And as we walked through the book of Ephesians last week, we opened the book of Ephesians up and we, we talked about how everything is based in him. And if you could kindly just fan yourself very a lot right now, maybe some of that wind would come up my way. But there's this peace, there's this peace that, um, there's this peace in Ephesians that, that touches my life because it's this idea of more. Have any of you ever had this idea that you just want more out of life? Like where you're at now is fine, but you want more. You could be in a nice house and you could have some nice things, but there's a piece of you that just wants more. You could, be, you could have the children you have or the influence you have, but there's a piece in you that's dr- driving you to want more. And I believe ingrained in us is this desire to want more. I believe it's in each and every one of us, this desire that I want more out of life, that I don't want to stay the same, that I don't want to, I don't want to be stagnant, I want more. I do think there's a point where some of us hit where we become depressed or overwhelmed or whatever, and it's like the idea of wanting more is just too much. But I believe God has put this peace in us to want more. But here's what I think has is, is happened in our world today. We have, we have replaced this desire or taken this desire to want more, and what we've done is we've put it on earthly things rather than more of Jesus. We've put it on all these earthly things in this world and said, I want more of this. I want nicer cars. I want a bigger house. I want nicer things. I want all this stuff. And guys, I get in the trap too, and I get caught up in this. And you, you, know, you want more. And I even look at my kids, and I'm like, I want, I want them to have more than what I had. And so this drive becomes more, and here's what I'm realizing, is that the more that I should want for my children and the more that I should want for my church is that we get more of Jesus, that we get more of the Savior who gave his life for us, and that everything we have and everything we are is based in him and him alone. And that my desire each day I get up, and my desire each step I take, and my desire in life is to want more and more of him, and to want abundantly more of him. And today we get to, to look at a prayer that, that Paul had in uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians. And we get to look at this prayer and what he prays for this church of Ephesus and, his, and this prayer over this. And remember we talked about this last week. If you were here with us, if you were not, I, here's what I want you to understand in this passage as we read. That this letter that was written to the church of Ephesus was written to a church body. So it would be like this church body as a whole. And so the way we read it and the way we, and the way we internalize it and the way we interpret it or the way we view this passage needs to be coming from the context of a church body rather than just a sole individual. Now there's some challenges within this passage, within the, the scriptures that go towards an individual, but the majority of this is written, written to a church body as a whole, and so let us look at it in that light and in that realm. And so here's what we have in Ephesians chapter 1, 15 to 23. It says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. 
What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. See, Paul was writing to the church to encourage them to say, hey, here's my prayer of what I would like to see you have more of. I'd like to see you have more of this. And he wasn't talking about earthly possessions. But he was talking about, I want you to have more of an understanding of who God is. More of an understanding of who he is. And see, here's the thing that gets so many of us caught up is we miss out on this fact that God wants us to have more of him too. God wants more time with us. God wants more of our focus. God wants more of our dedication. God wants more of our lives day in and day out. And it's not like there's this point where I can, I can do I reached that point of, oh, I've arrived. But it's one of those points of, when I get up in the morning, how am I pursuing more of who God is? How am I trying to get more of Jesus in my life? How am I trying to get more of God in my life? And when I start asking about this more peace, and I'm wanting more, and I'm desiring more, not of the earthly stuff, but of God and all this stuff, and I start putting, as Dale, or one of our elders always says to me, Chad, remember, first things first, the first thing that should be first in our lives is wanting more of Jesus. And he be the focus, and he be who we pursue, and he be who we go after. And that looks like this. It looks like our quiet times. One of the first things we do when we get up in the morning, and I know some of us, how many of us are not morning people, right? And so we, we, we hesitate on this, and we say, you know what? I, I'm better, I pay better attention to what I'm doing when it's later on in the day. And I would say this, that if you could challenge yourself in any way, when your first thing you do when you get out of bed is not go and hit the coffee maker. The first thing you get, I just got some dirty looks here. The first thing that you do when you get out of bed is you grab the word, then you go hit the coffee maker, and then you, I'm just kidding. Grab your Bible and start reading. Dive into his word. And look, don't try to read the whole thing in one sitting. Take a little portion of it and read till you grab something from it. Read till you grab something of it. One thing in my quiet times that I'm learning as I'm diving into this more thing, this, this piece that God wants more for my life, is this. I'm in Deuteronomy of all places, in the Old Testament. And what I'm learning is this, is that my life, my love, my dedication should all be focused on Jesus. That's what he asked of his children. And so the pieces that we grab, even from those, to those books and things, is there's something there for us to grasp. There's more for us to understand. And so as we dive into this passage and what he says, here's what I want us to understand is this. Is that our understanding of who God is, our understanding of who Jesus is, our understanding of what he wants to do in our lives and in the life of our church and the life of our community, it starts with two things. It starts with two things, both of which I have to do, both of which require action on my part. 
I don't get understanding of who God is unless I act, unless I do something. And these two things are the very thing that I need to dedicate my time towards, and it's this. It's faith and love. How faithful am I, and how much do I love the people around me? How faithful am I, and how much do I love the people around me? And faith looks like this. Have you ever noticed that a lot of times in life, I used this illustration the other day at dinner. Cindy loved it, so I'm going to use it with you guys. Have any of you ever been to Bones Burgers? Yeah? Was it any good? Anybody ever heard of it? There's one in uh, Oakley and one in Montgomery. Um, Julie said they weren't all that good. I'm just kidding. See, Dale just gave me a dirty look. She loved them. I'm just kidding. All right, so here's the deal. We're on this faith journey. And along the way, there's certain places that God wants us to hit, certain things that God has for us. And on this faith journey, I could stand here and I can say, you know what? I've received Jesus and I have Jesus in my heart and that's good enough. Like, I'm good, right? And a lot of times, a lot of times people say this, I got my ticket so, to heaven, so I'm good. I've accepted, I believe, I'm good. And what happens is this, we stay right here. But the truth of the matter on this faith journey is this, is there certain things that God has in store for us along the way. And I never get these things unless I'm faithful in walking out what God has for me. If I stay put right here, I will never experience the things that God has for me. It won't happen. Because he requires faithfulness from us. He requires us to walk out our faith. And so as I'm walking out my faith, I get this. I come to the first thing that God has for me. And in this place, God may have something amazing for me. In this place, he may have a church body that I got the pleasure of standing up front and not singing myself, but hearing your wonderful voices sing praises to our God. And I get to experience that. But guess what happens if I don't walk out this faith journey? Guess what happens if I am not faithful? I don't get to experience it. I don't get to, I don't get to see it happen. And so I come to this place on my faith journey where I get to experience that. I continue walking on my faith journey, and I get to the next thing. And I get to see people's lives changed. Like, I, I get to hear about a father who is saying, you know what? I, am, I have a business, and I have two jobs, and I'm working these things with everything that I have. And you know what I've decided to do, Chad? I've decided to do this. I've decided to put my family first. And I've decided that, yes, I'm going to keep my business going, but instead of doing two things a day, two inspections a day, I'm just going to do one. And then he says, you know what happened after that? God started blessing my business. And see, you never get to see lives transformed unless you walk out his faith journey. You never get to this point. You never get to see it happen unless you continue to be faithful. And there's what Paul's writing as he says, listen, he goes, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith, because I've heard of the fact that you are faithful, because I heard that you walk out your faith, it caught somebody's attention. Does our faith catch people's attention? And here's what happens a lot of times. We get to this place and we start to see God transform 
people's lives or we get to see this, this thing as we go along. And, and, and we miss that. We, we stay here. Because you know what? This is great. And I can rest on lives being transformed. And I can rest because this is, this is nice. But do you not realize that there's something else that God has in store for us here? And I never get to this unless I walk it out. I never get to this place unless I walk it out. Last week, I had the pleasure of going over and uh, speaking to our students on Sunday night. And I was there, and there's a reading right now going on. And I get to this place where I, I get to share my story with our students. I get to share my story with our students because here's what I know is that the industry out there, the pornography industry, is capturing more and more teenagers at a, at a rapid rate. And what I'm also seeing in, in, in everything that I do is that what happens to this, it is making our, our kids lazy and lethargic. It is zapping them of any drive. And so I got to go and I got to sit with our students and I got to share my story with them. And I got to share with them about what happens in a shame cycle and what happens when we get caught in something. And see, if I don't walk out my faith, because let me be very honest with you, the idea of giving up a Sunday night to go and talk to students was not on the forefront of what I wanted to do, but I know it's what God had in store for me to do. And it's not because I don't love our students, it's because I wanted to spend time with my kids before they went to camp. But you know what? If I don't sacrifice some things and actually get to go and sit in front of some students and get a text later from a student that said, hey, thank you for sharing your story, Chad. I'm actually struggling with the same thing. And I appreciate the fact that you're willing to share your story so that I can experience the same freedom you've experienced. And see, we never get there, guys, if we don't walk it out. We don't get there unless we walk it out, and he's called us to be faithful. Second thing in this, is he goes this. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your what? Y'all got to say it louder than that. I can't be the only one pumped up today. Love. Love. Your love. For who? Yourself? Toward all the saints. All. This is not selective love. This isn't, you know what? Today, Charles, I'm going to love you, but Chad, I'm sorry. I don't have enough in me. No. This is all. And see, this love towards people starts being contagious. When we first started LightPoint, one of the things that I wanted, I wanted a church that was known by the way they what? Love one another. And we said it over and over again. I wanted a church that was known because we loved one another, plain and simple. And the minute we start losing focus of that, the minute we start getting away from that, we've lost this. And here's the beginning of what God has for us is that our faith, we are faithful in what he's called us to be and what he's called us to do and that we love each other. Do we grasp how simple this is? I didn't say easy. Do we grasp how simple this is? Two questions I should end my day with every day. How faithful have I been today? And how much have I loved the people around me? How faithful have I been towards my father and what he's called me to? And how much love have I shown towards the people around me? 
See, my understanding of who God is has to begin with things that I do, the two things that I do, and that's my faith and my love. My faith in what he's called me to do, my faith in walking it out, and the love towards others. See, when I gain a better understanding of this, and when I start doing what he's called me to do, I start to gain a better understanding of who God is in verses 16 and 18. Verse part 18 reads this. I do not cease to give thanks to you for you, remembering you in my prayers. And this is Paul towards the church. Just being thankful for who they are. Just being thankful for who they are. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Notice that he did not say, I want to give you the spirit of wisdom and of, reg- and of revelation and the knowledge of this world. Did you catch that? But he wanted to give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, of Jesus, of God, of what it is he has for us. And he goes on, he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. See, we gain a better understanding of who God is because of our faith and love. But what is this understanding we get? What is it we're trying to get towards? Or what is it we are getting a better understanding of? Well, in verse 18, B, it says this, the, second, the middle part of that, it says, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. I want you, if you have your Bibles or if you have something, I just want you to write hope. Have you noticed that our world today puts a lot of hope in a lot of different things? If you don't believe me, think of how well certain things are funded. Like I have no problem, guys, with the diabetes fund, and I have no problem with the cancer funds, and I have no problem with that, but do we realize that those are a a here and now hope, they're not an eternal hope. See, it may solve or cure cancer, or it may solve or cure diabetes, but eternally and forever, it has an end. See, we have this hope that he wants us to understand, this real hope that he wants us to gain understanding is, this real hope of who he is, this real hope, and it begins with Jesus and Jesus alone. It's grounded in him and knowing that our real hope is in him. And this word hope can be defined as this. A joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. A joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. It's not a temporal thing. It's not a temporary thing, but an eternal thing. And in this, we see we have this hope that he has brought to us, this real hope, this peace that he wants us to understand that our hope is not in what's here on earth, and our hope is not that something will come along and, and, and cure us or save us, but our real hope is in the fact that Jesus has come, and he has saved us, and he has brought salvation, and it is our job to respond to it. That is real hope. That's what he's called us to. That's what he wants us to understand. And do we understand that, do we grasp the fact that unless I walk out my faith journey, unless I get and walk out this faith journey, 
I never experienced this piece of the real hope that he has. Because what happens is I stand over here at the beginning of my faith journey and I ask, you know what? I want everything and whatever else is out there to make me right. Like if I could just get cured of this particular illness or if I could just experience healing from this particular piece. And so I'll go here and I'll go there and I'll search for what all this is and yet there's a piece of it that there's nothing wrong with it. Guys, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with these things. But when my hope is just solely rested in that, I've missed out on what Jesus has for me. And that's real hope in him. And that's what he's called us to. Romans 12, uh, 15, 12 to 13 reads this. And again, Isaiah says, and Paul was quoting from Isaiah, and again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles in him will the Gentiles hope. Because he, he's talking about who Jesus is and how he came and how the real hope that we have as those who are not Jews, but are, we are, are considered Gentiles. We are considered not a, a, a part of his chosen people. But because of Jesus and what he did and what he came to do, we as those who are not considered Jews have hope because of Jesus. And that's the piece that he goes on. He says this, In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You may go forward in hope. It may not limit you. Because your hope for this world is not in the material and all this other stuff. Your hope in this world is rested and solely in Jesus. And that is what Paul is asking. As what he's saying is that as we gain a better understanding of this, our hope, what we confidently expect and wait for, comes from Jesus and is in Jesus. Then the thing he says in verse 18, in the latter part of that verse, it says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? See, I believe as we walk in faith and love and we walk out our faith journey and we love people around us and we put first things first, there's a piece of this that not only do we gain an understanding of what real hope is, but we gain an understanding of what true riches are. Because true riches is not what I can pull into my, my garage. True riches is not the size of my house or the size of my bank account. That's not where true riches comes from. That's not what God has said. This is what true riches is. And when we start following Jesus, he starts helping us see that true riches comes from him and is solely rested in him. And again, there's nothing wrong, I want to be very clear, there's nothing wrong with having a nice house, and there's nothing wrong with having nice cars and nice things. I believe that God provides these things as we faithfully do the things that he's called us to. And so there's a blessing there that comes from him. But just because you have these things does not mean that you're rich. There's only a richness that comes from him, and he wants us to understand that. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And whenever he talks about this riches of his glorious inheritance, I, it keeps bringing me back to this piece in 2 Corinthians 8 9. It says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty might become rich. Do you know what we're rich in and it doesn't matter what you drive or what house you pull into? Do you know what you're rich in? His grace. 
His grace. And if you just rest solely in His grace, which means this, if I'm on my journey and I stumble or I get off track, that His grace pulls me back. That if I'm walking along and I get tired and I get weak and I want to give up, that His grace flows over me. And it lifts me up and it draws me back to Him. And because of Jesus, I am rich because of His grace. Because what did He do? He left heaven to come down here and live as a man. He gave His life for me and He sacrificed His life for me so that I can experience what true grace is. And we are rich in His grace. And if I would just solely rest in his grace, I would start to understand what true riches are. And if it wasn't enough that he blessed me with real hope and he blesses me with true riches, there's another piece that's, that's tied to, to, to who Jesus is and understanding him. Verse 19 says this, And what is the immeasurable greatness? Did y'all catch that? The immeasurable. You can't measure this. You can't, you can't like take a, a, a measuring cup and say, oh, it's this amount. You can't take a, 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 a tape measure and say, this is the, the length or this is what it is. There's not, well, no way to measure this. It's immeasurable. And he goes on to the, he says this, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who do what? believe again my faith and my love my faith in him and what he's called to do my faithfulness and the love for those around me but there's this believe part do I believe that he is the real hope do I believe that in him are true riches and then do I believe that there is unlimited power with God. Unlimited. There's no measure, way to measure it. It's not like we can just pour it out and there's enough there, oh, we're done with it. No. It keeps coming. It's just there. And His power to do what? His power to transform lives. His power to, to use the grace that He has already shown us on the cross. That power, that power alone to restore somebody's life, to restore a marriage, to restore a father, to restore a mother, to restore a kid. That is power. See, we look for power in the sense of is somebody strong enough? Has somebody got enough strength in them to overpower somebody? Guys, that's not the power of our Savior. The power of our Savior is to restore and to build up and to bring life into something that is dead. To bring healing into something that has given up hope. And to bring life into our lives. And when we miss out on that, that is the power that he has. And it is unlimited. It cannot be measured. And it's a life-changing power. I get more and more excited about what God does in people's lives. If we didn't walk this faith journey, I'd miss out on so much life change. See, not in just you guys, but in my life. In my life. We've got a baptism next week, right? 
we've got two people that said they want to be baptized. And I get to see this piece where people struggle with that. And then they get to a place of saying, you know what? I'm done struggling. I just want to be faithful. And so if you're in a place that, you know what? I need to be baptized or I need to take that step of faith. I need to take that next step on my faith journey. Let me know. We'll make it happen next week. Because there's this power that comes from our faithfulness and our love. There's a power that's unlimited because of who Jesus is. And it has the power to transform our lives. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 reads this. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. See, our God has so much power in these strongholds. We had this conversation in Life Group this week. It was very interesting. I brought up this, this point of my heart breaks when we, I see people stuck in unforgiveness in a place where they can't forgive those around them and they can't forgive themselves because you can see the life sucked out of them and they become stuck. And one of the people in our group said, you know what, Chad, go even further with that. It's people's strongholds in their lives. And see, we have a God that is powerful enough to break down these strongholds. Not just of unforgiveness, but you name it. What's your stronghold? What is it that has you trapped? What is it that keeps you from walking that faith journey that he has called you on? That is a stronghold. And see, our God is powerful enough. There's real hope in him. There's true riches in him because of his grace. That doesn't mean that he, see, he doesn't give up on us. But there's real power, unlimited power, when we, fall, when we walk with him. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. And lastly, as I gain a better understanding of what real hope is, and I gain a better understanding of what true riches is, and as I gain a better understanding of his unlimited power because I am faithful and walking out what he's called me to, and I love those people around me, and I've put him first in my life, and everything's rooted in him. As I gain a better understanding of this, there's something else I gain a better understanding of, and that's of my Savior, of who Jesus is and his role in this world. Verses 20 to 23 says this. That he worked in Christ, that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. See, as I'm faithful and I love those around me, I gain a better understanding of who Jesus is. And couldn't we all use a better understanding of Jesus and who he is and what his role is in our world? See, just a couple things to this. There's nothing above Jesus. There's no name greater than Jesus. There's no power greater than Jesus. As wonderful as our government is right now, 
as wonderful as we try to put all this hope in what our politicians do, they can't hold a candlestick to our Savior. And yet so many of us put our hope in what they do in Washington, D.C., rather than what Jesus is doing in my life and the life of my church and the life of my family. See, when I start living this out, I realize that there's no power greater than him. There's nothing above him. That his name is above everything. And that if I would rest in his name and if I would start to gain a better understanding of that, maybe, just maybe, I'd start to look at things a little differently. Maybe my life wouldn't be rocked by the highs and the lows or the valleys and the mountaintops. Maybe my life wouldn't be rocked by whether I have something or don't have something. Maybe my life wouldn't be rocked by, by the little inconveniences that come along the way. But maybe if I understood who Jesus is and you had a better understanding of our Savior is, is that just simply because I belong to him, that's enough. It's all I need. There's nothing that compares to that because I belong to him, because I am his, and he is mine. And as I grasp that and I gain more understanding of that, maybe my life starts to change. Maybe my family starts to change. Guys, I'm the worst for letting simple things bother me. As a dad, you got, you got quite a few things you got to accomplish, right? Go to work, some of us. Go to work, you come home, you, you got to help around the house, you got to do whatever. And yet you got a little one that says, Daddy, I want to spend time with you. Daddy, can, can we hang out? Daddy, can you come throw a ball? And sometimes there's this overwhelming feeling of all the things that you have to accomplish and get done. And that it breaks your heart to know that right now you're just overwhelmed. And so a lot of times how I react is not out of love, but out of frustration. And just saying, I don't have time for this. And here's what Jesus is doing in my life. Because I'm starting to understand that in him, when I'm resting in my Savior and I understand who he is, that all this other stuff doesn't matter. That getting all this other things just isn't important. But going and playing, throwing a lacrosse ball with my boy is important. Going and sitting on the couch and hugging my daughter is important. Going out on the screen and porch with my wife is probably the best thing I can do at that moment. Because that's what's important. Opening up God's word and allowing him to speak to me is more important than finishing the paint job in my boy's room right now. See, when I gain a better understanding of who Jesus is and that there's nothing above him and that because I belong to him, I can put my life in perspective and put my life the way he wants it. And my faith journey is not limited and my love for people has no ends because I have a savior who brings real hope who blesses me with true riches of his grace who has unlimited power 
and as a Savior that is above everything else. And when I start to understand that and I gain a better understanding of that because of the way I faithfully walk and I love those, my life changes. And my world changes. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank